All right. Man. Good morning. All right. Cease the applause. Okay. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Wes. I'm a pastoral assistant here at Red Village Church and uh, grateful to open up the word. So uh, if you have a Bible, let's open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. So 1 Thessalonians is in the second half of the Bible. It's, it's kind of a small epistle letter that's tucked into the, the later half of the New Testament. So uh, I'm going to read through the passage, and uh, then I'm going to ask for the Lord's help, and we'll start just working through this verse by verse. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not to say anything, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. Lord, we believe that you speak through your preached word. And so I pray that you would uh, just guide uh, my heart as I uh, deliver this word, that you would speak to your people, and God, that you would give us ears uh, to hear your word and hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. Bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to give a little bit of background work for uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians. So uh, the letter of 1 Thessalonians was written by the Apostle Paul uh, near the year AD 51, a little less than 20 years after the time of Jesus' incarnation. 1 Thessalonians is uh, one of the earliest of Paul's epistles, and it was written several months after his first visit in Thessalonica with Timothy and Silas during their second missionary journey across the Roman Empire. And during this time, Thessalonica was a very interesting place. It was a very strategic port city in modern Greece that was the capital of Macedonia and had a population of about 200,000 people. The city was known for its trade, but was also known for its loyalty to Caesar, giving it many privileges that other cities did not have. And so spiritually, Thessalonica was filled with a lot of idol worship uh, from the Greek and Roman influence within the city. So Thessalonica was 
even known to be so devout that uh, it would even have a practice of emperor worship, so uh, worshiping everything that, that Caesar would proclaim and, and really giving much attention to him. And so uh, within Thessalonica, there was also a sizable Jewish population living there uh, that had like one or more synagogues uh, for Jewish worship and practice within the city. Uh, but the majority of these Jews were very hostile to the gospel and uh, actually persecuted the Thessalonian church after it was established. So in society's eyes, this city was very successful and very prosperous, and it was favored greatly by the royal emperor himself. Uh, but spiritually, the city of Thessalonica was a very dark place. It was devoted to non-living idols and man-made practices and establishments. Yet, God in his abundant grace sent Paul, Silas, and Timothy to go to this city and to preach the gospel there for about three weeks. And so Acts chapter 17 actually records the details of their visit, telling how Paul went into the local Jewish synagogue and reasoned with the people that came there on three different Sabbath days, saying, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. The passage says that a large number of God-fearing Greeks, um, as well as a number of leading women, were persuaded by the message of Christ and also joined Paul and Silas. And not long after that, the Jews in Thessalonica became jealous and formed a mob that started into a riot against the city and against the Christian believers that had begun to join with Paul and Silas. And specifically, they began to target uh, a, believer's name, uh, a believer named Jason, and uh, they began to go to his home. And so this mob looked for Paul and Silas to take them to the public assembly within Thessalonica, uh, but they could not find them. So instead, they dragged Jason and others before the city officials, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here too, and Jason has welcomed them. And they are all acting contrary to Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king named Jesus. And the crowd and the city officials then in anger took a security bond from Jason and the others as punishment and then reluctantly released them. And then the text tells us that as soon as it was night, the new Thessalonian believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea, where they would yet again face conflict from the Thessalonian Jews that would actually pursue them all the way to Berea uh, to stop what they were doing and to stop this proclamation about Jesus. And that is the beginning of the Thessalonian church. So you can imagine planning, if you can imagine, like planning a church within a three-week span and then having multiple believers like confess Christ to only have the local Jews start a riot in the city against this small group of believers and then have the missionaries that brought you that message flee by night. Um, this was not an easy start for uh, the Thessalonian church. Um, to say the least, uh, you can like, imagine how fearful Paul must have felt uh, for this Thessalonian, Thessalonian church after he left Thessalonica. And actually, we see in uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2 uh, that Paul expresses his great desire to return to the Thessalonians to see them face to face. Uh, but Paul says Satan hindered them from doing so. 
And then Paul says later in chapter 3 that he had feared that the tempter had led them astray and that their labor might be for nothing. Several months later, Paul and Timothy uh, were sent to go, ch- or no, sorry, Paul sent Timothy to check on the believers in Thessalonica and found not only were the believers still holding the faith, but they were actually growing in their faith and in love through Christ in the middle of the increasing persecution that was happening in Thessalonica. And so Paul, after hearing this good report, pulled out his ink and pen and got to work on this letter that we're studying, which focuses on encouraging the Thessalonian believers in their faith and addressing some misunderstandings they had regarding the return of Christ. Which brings us to verse 1 of our text. So it says, Paul and Silvanus, which is Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Now, at first glance, like this may just look like another classic greeting from Paul, uh, but given the context that I just gave you, there is something very significant here in Paul's greeting. Paul addresses this letter to the Church of the Thessalonians. This is significant because a few months prior, there were no believers in the province of Thessalonica. And when Paul had abruptly left, there was a relatively small amount of believers who had only been Christians for a few weeks or even for just a few days. But now, as Paul wrote this letter, there was a healthy, thriving growing body of believers that made up the church of Thessalonica. And that alone is an incredible work of God that I'm sure Paul rejoiced in as he addressed this letter. And as we work through this passage, we'll see that the faithful work of God in Thessalonica is a significant theme that Paul desires to remind the Thessalonians of as he continues to write. And so we need to understand that the church is a work of God's power and grace that comes from him and him alone so that no one can boast. And we as Red Village Church must remember that as we near our 13th year of a 13th year anniversary of being planted here in Madison, Wisconsin, the only reason that we are here is because of the grace and work of God that he has done to bring about a body of believers in Madison for his glory. Uh, Pastor Aaron and his family simply simply listened to that call to come here, and God showed up. And by his grace, he has continued to sustain Red Village Church to this day. So if you look with me at verse 2, Paul gives thanks to God for the Thessalonian church by saying, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Now, I don't know about for you, but... For me, each time I read one of Paul's epistles, I am deeply challenged by Paul's love and intentionality for each church that he writes to. Like Paul doesn't say that he's, he's praying for the Thessalonians like once in a while when it comes to mind, uh, but rather Paul is praying constantly, mentioning the Thessalonian church in prayer with Timothy and Silas always, always giving thanks to God for what he has done in the spiritually dark city of Thessalonica. Paul and the other church leaders during the early church period were men of prayer. If they were 
uh, if they were praying always, that means that they were disciplined in prayer. Like they were making it a constant priority in their lives. And you can bet that they laid out specific times throughout their day-to-day ministry where they were going to sit down and pray for the body of Christ in many different locations. They understood God hears the prayers of his people, and he acts on behalf of them for his glory. They understood that there is power in prayer. And we, as the body of Christ, today should certainly reflect on their example as men and women who are devoted to praying for the body of Christ. And not just the local body of Red Village Church, but to pray for the whole council and church of God, uh, to be praying for other churches and ministries, both in Madison and across the world, who are proclaiming Christ to the lost. Uh, But in order to do this, we need to lay out uh, specific time and a specific place. We will pray for these things. Otherwise, the distractions of life will crowd this out, and uh, we will only end up praying when it is convenient, which for most of us is not constantly. So uh, may we be disciplined in prayer and always give thanks for the work that God is doing among his people and around the world. Paul goes on in verse 3 to say uh, that he remembers three specific qualities about the Thessalonian church before God the Father. Specifically, he mentions their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. These three qualities are seen linked together uh, in many different places throughout Scripture. But here in the text, Paul is reminded of how the Thessalonian church is already displaying these Christ-like values, which had to be a great encouragement to Paul. In the first quality, their work of faith, Paul is pointing out that the Thessalonians' faith was not void of good works. Rather, their faith in Christ was a result of godly works that were both benefiting the Thessalonian church and impacting those around them. And verse 7 in our text has more to say about their impact, but we'll get to that in just a little bit. Um, So works of faith are what God does within every believer that places their faith in Christ. Um, They are then led by the Holy Spirit to do good works in accordance with God's word. For as James says, Faith without works is dead. You can't have one without the other. The second quality that Paul mentions is the Thessalonians' labor of love. The CSB translation puts this as labor motivated by love, which I think is a helpful way of of putting what Paul is saying here. Um, The word that Paul uses uh, for love in this text is agape, uh, which is the word that is often associated with how God loves. So Paul is saying he also remembers the Thessalonians' hard work motivated by how God loves. The Thessalonian church, man, I'm really struggling with Thessalonian today. Thessalonian church did not have their heads up in the theological clouds while their feet did nothing. Rather, the love of God motivated them to do something, to reciprocate the love that they had received from God to those around them, just as they were shown from Paul, Silas, and Timothy when they had first arrived. Which, to be honest, is a very laboring task. 
It means we have to be intentional, hospitable, charitable, forgiving, selfless, in order to truly love our neighbors as we love ourselves. But we do this not because we have to, but because God's incredible love through Jesus motivates us to do so. And the last quality that Paul mentions that we see in the Thessalonians is their steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the same way that their labor is motivated by love, so their steadfastness or ability to endure as believers is dependent upon the hope that they have in Christ. Since the beginning of the Thessalonian church, hardship and persecution has followed by those in their city as a result. So, so much so that it only took a few weeks before a riot was formed in the city against them. Yet, the Thessalonian church continued to endure because of hope, uh, which hope is often misused in today's society. Uh, Like hope is actually dependent upon whatever you are hoping in. Uh, So actually, just this morning, I was talking with Xander, and uh, Xander was saying that we we both are hoping that our mustaches will begin to grow uh, more and more day by day. (laughs) Now, uh, that's a a great thing to hope for, but uh, that's really not the right terminology that we should be using for the word hope, because if I'm just hoping that my mustache is going to grow more, like, the substance of relying upon my facial hair to grow that mustache is probably, honestly, not a great thing that I should be hoping in, okay? Um, likewise, if you're, you're hoping that Jordan Love is going to uh, continue to pull through the win and he's going to beat the Broncos, which seen a couple weeks ago didn't, didn't do so hot, that would not be a great hope, right? Uh, because Jordan Love is a rookie. He's, he's still learning how to get the win, so... Um, All that to be said, if we hope in something that we can depend upon, something that won't fail us, and something that will remain true, then that hope becomes a powerful motivator to help us press on and remain steadfast when things get tough. That is what hope in Christ does. In Christ, we have every good and perfect thing that we need for a life of godliness. And we can have full confidence that what we hope for will come through. Because Christ has promised to never leave or forsake his people. He is a solid foundation for anyone that puts their hope in him that cannot be shaken. It is this kind of hope in Christ that allowed the Thessalonian church to remain steadfast in their faith and persevere. Moving to verse 4. Paul continues to encourage the church by saying, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Paul reminds the Thessalonian believers the fact that they have come to know God through the gospel means that they are personally loved by God and chosen by God. They would not know God or know anything about the gospel of Christ if God didn't love them and choose them to come into relationship with him through his son. We can see Paul is laying out some important theological truths here in our text. It's not because the Thessalonians were lucky enough to be at the right place at the right time to hear the gospel and to come to know Christ. 
It's not because they were smart enough to figure it out on their own that they needed Christ and they needed to repent and to believe. The only reason that any of the believers in Thessalonica came to know God through repentance, belief, and faith is because God's love for them and his choosing to reveal himself to them. God is the author and perfecter of our faith. And as Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And this is true today for all who come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. Salvation is a gift of God. As a result of his love, as he chooses to reveal himself to the lost and undeserving, which is all of us in this room. Now, how can Paul know that that is true for the Thessalonian believers? Well, he goes on to say in verse 5, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Remember, Paul and Silas were only in Thessalonica for around three weeks, proclaiming Christ to a community that was worshiping idols and was deeply devoted to the emperor of Rome. Yet, when the gospel came to him, it came with power. And what power, you may ask? The power to spiritually open dead hearts, to open deaf ears, to open blind eyes, to the life-giving message of the gospel. To change a sinner's spiritual state from dead to alive. This is the work that only God can do through the Holy Spirit as he indwells each person that believes in Christ. And the Holy Spirit does this through a deep conviction within a person to understand that they have sinned against a holy God and are separated from him. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, pointing them towards their need for Christ. And this is exactly what happens to the believers in Thessalonica when they hear the gospel message from Paul and Silas. And God is doing the same thing today through his people as they proclaim Christ to the world around them. So understand that when you share the gospel, you're not just sharing a message with information and with words. You're sharing a powerful, life-giving message that the Holy Spirit uses to change a person from death to life. Amen. And it is the power of God for everyone who believes. Knowing this, we should be all the more eager and confident to share the gospel with the lost around us. Paul goes on to say, You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul is not being prideful or boastful when he says, when he says you know what kind of men we proved to be among you. Rather, Paul knows that the three weeks he and Silas spent with the Thessalonians, they conducted their lives in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. And everything that they did or said or taught, they sought to give a Christ-like example that the Thessalonian believers could follow. 
And that's exactly what the Thessalonian believers did. They became imitators of Paul and Silas. So if you're taking notes, write this down. The way you live for Christ has either negative or positive impacts on those who watch your life. If you are a believer in Christ, whether you know it or not, people are watching how you live. They're watching what you say. They're watching what you don't say. They're watching what you do and what you don't do, what you teach and preach. And if you actually follow up on what you teach and preach, people are watching. For the parents in the room, I'm sure this hits very close to home. Kids are watching everything that you do and say whether you want them to or not. And the way that you live for Christ impacts what they will do because we as people imitate the lives of those that we want to follow. And if we're not careful in the way that we live, this can impact those who are watching us negatively and can cause them to wander away from Christ. And for leaders in the church, this is an even more heavy responsibility that is placed upon how they should live their lives because more people are watching them and the example that they give. Paul understood this well. And although he's not perfect, because all of us are sinners, he was a man of integrity who sought to live a Christ-like life that could be imitated by those who watched him. And the result, as we can see in our text, made a huge impact on the Thessalonian believers, where they didn't just become imitators of Paul and Silas, but they also became imitators of the Lord. And this is a key principle of discipleship. If you're trying to figure out how you can grow as a, a discipler of Christ, then understand it's not just what you say that makes disciples. It's what you do and the example that you give for others to follow Christ. This is exactly what Jesus did in his ministry with his disciples. And it's exactly what Paul did for the Thessalonian believers and for many other churches that God led Paul to establish. Paul says, The Thessalonian believers received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Again, we can see the sovereignty of God in establishing the Thessalonian church that even in the midst of much persecution from their city and neighbors, they received the gospel with joy that only comes from God through the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete or full. In the midst of persecution uh, that was coming uh, from the th uh, to the Thessalonian believers' own home, uh, instead of feeling distraught or discouraged or afraid, they felt the joy of their God, for they had come to know the God of all creation. Look with me at verse 7. This is what Paul says had been happening as a result of their imitation of Paul and Silas and of the Lord. It says, You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not to say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. So, don't miss this. 
This is a huge praise from Paul. Not only have the Thessalonian believers been following the example of Paul and Silas in following Christ, but they themselves have become an example to all believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. And, and for those of us, which is most of us, not knowing how large is the scope of Macedonia and Achaia, this made up uh, two primary provinces that covers all of modern-day Greece today, uh, So, which is pretty comparable to the state of Wisconsin. It's about 50 to 60,000 square miles of land. Of course, there was uh, way less people in those areas compared to Wisconsin today, but still an incredible range of area. And in only a short time of a few several months, believers all across this area were hearing about the Thessalonians' faith in Christ and the work that God was doing through them, despite the afflictions that they were enduring in Thessalonica. This included the Philippian church, the Corinthian church, the church of Athens, the church of Berea, and many other churches that were established by Paul and Silas during that time. And like, can you imagine the impact that this must have had on all the other believers throughout Greece? That despite the hardship and persecution, the Thessalonian church was joyfully and powerfully making Christ known and growing in their faith and in their labor of love and their steadfastness of hope in Christ. This had to be such an encouragement to the believers that heard about them to keep laboring in love and to keep remaining steadfast in hope. And I can only imagine all the incredible stories of God's work at Thessalonica that were circulating among other believers within Macedonia and Achaia. And Paul says their impact didn't stop there. But actually, their faith in God had gone forth everywhere. Now, when Paul says this, it's most likely a, a hyperbole to express how far across the Roman Empire news about the Thessalonians' faith had traveled. But obviously, their faith in Christ was impacting a lot of people. Paul says that this happened from the word of the Lord sounding forth or ringing forth uh, from the Thessalonians, meaning that the Thessalonians were bold and intentional in their witness for Christ. Their church served as a hub for believers to be built up and then sent out with the gospel message ready on their lips, like a trumpet sounding out the call for salvation to all who have ears to hear it. Paul tells the Thessalonians that their example and impact on everyone around them speaks for itself so that he and Silas didn't even have to add anything to their credit. For the reports about the church themselves show how much they had applied what Paul and Silas had taught them. And so looking at the second half of verse 9 and verse 10 in our text, Paul goes on to say how the reports about the Thessalonian church had also testified to how they had turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And now they wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Paul ends our passage of study with an incredible summary of what has happened to the Thessalonian believers. But why does Paul repeat this testimony here in this letter? Like, isn't this something that's already really obvious to the Thessalonian believers 
I mean, it is their testimony. So what God is doing here in verses 9 and 10 of our text, through his written word through Paul, is he is zooming out for us to see the big picture of what has occurred in Thessalonica. So if you've been struggling tracking with me, listen in on what I have to say here, because this is where the text gets so good. So what Paul is saying here is that people like you and me, sinful and separated from God, spiritually dead, heard this incredible message of Jesus and something happened. God turned on the lights for these people in Thessalonica. And as they believed in the message of Jesus and made Christ the Lord of their lives, they turned to God, 180 degrees away from where they were going, which is hell, a place of eternal separation from God that we all rightly deserve because of our sin. These Thessalonian people turned away from the dead and worthless idols that society celebrated and said was normal and worthy of their worship. And instead of doing that, they began to worship and serve the living and true God, the only true God, the God who stepped down from heaven into existence that we all live in, breathed the air that we breathe, ate the foods that we ate, experienced Life, as all of us experience life, with its joys and with its hardships. And in doing so, he never sinned. He never rejected God the Father in heaven as his authority. He never stopped loving God the Father and loving those around him as himself. He never stopped glorifying the Lord of heaven and earth. And yet, although he had done no wrong, he willingly accepted the false accusations that came against him. He willingly was mocked and beaten and humiliated. He was willingly placed upon a tree and crucified by the people that he loved. This living God died on a tree to take the judgment that you and me and the Thessalonians and everyone on earth deserves because of our sin against a holy God. But because this living God had done no wrong, death could not hold him. Three days later, in the cool of the morning, the living God rose again from the dead, proving he is the only true God in all of existence. And after doing this, he then ascended back into heaven at the right side of the Father, where he now intercedes for all who will receive him. And through this work that he accomplished on earth, he now extends forgiveness of sins and communion with the living God, both now and forevermore, to anyone that would receive him by faith. Turning away from what is dead to serve the living and true God. And as verse 10 reveals, this person is Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath that is to come. This is what God has done among the Thessalonian people that have received him. And now they eagerly await for the Son of God, Jesus, to return from heaven. When he will re reunite with his people and he will wipe every tear from their eyes and dwell with them for eternity. This 
testimony of the Thessalonian church is incredible because it's the redemption of all of mankind. And this message is incredible. There is nothing that we have done to deserve God's love that he has shown us through Christ. And if you are here and you're not a Christian, my prayer for you is that God would do this incredible work within your heart where the lights would come on for you and you would understand your need to repent and turn to Jesus as the living and true God. Understand that judgment and wrath is coming to those who do not believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But for those who are here and who have received him, Jesus has taken that wrath upon himself and now eagerly await, we await for his return. Be encouraged that the work that God did in Thessalonica for the Thessalonian church is still happening today through the powerful gospel message. Know that you are chosen and loved by God because of the gospel that came to you in power and through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Church, as we reflect upon this passage, may we be a church that prays constantly for the body of Christ. May we imitate the godly men and women as they imitate Christ. May we follow their example as they follow Christ so that you may be an example to all the believers and to everyone that God places in your life. And finally, remain diligent in godly works produced from your faith. Keep laboring in love that comes from the love of God and remain steadfast in the hope that is anchored in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, for the power of your word, and for the power of your salvation brought through Christ. God, none of us here are deserving of anything, and yet um, you sent Christ to die in our place and to give us new life and to do this incredible work in our lives where we could, we could know you, we could walk with you, and we could gather together as believers um, all under your name. God, thank you for uh, the gift that has been brought through Christ and through his death and resurrection on the cross. And, and I do pray, God, that you would um, move within the hearts here uh, to know you and to believe in you, um, to walk with you. God, thank you for your love for us and uh, thank you for this morning. May the rest of our time together uh, continue to bring you praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.